Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Okay, so today on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast, we have a special guest, Dr. Melody Hartzler. She's a clinical pharmacist at Western Medicine Family Physicians in Fairborn, Ohio, and teaches part-time at Cedarville University School of Pharmacy. Melody is a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacy specialist and board-certified in advanced diabetes management. Melody is the creator of Farm to Table, so follow her on Instagram. Uh, She's also got a website to learn more about her interests in functional medicine. Melody, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here tonight. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can uh, fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Sure. So I went to Ohio Northern University. So go polar bears. Um, And after that, I went and trained at the VA in Columbus in an outpatient, Columbus, Ohio, an outpatient ambulatory care setting um, with some awesome preceptors in case any of them are listening. (laughs) Um, But no, they were awesome. But, and then I went to Cedarville University post-residency and started a practice in family medicine, um, which was in a downtown federally qualified healthcare center in downtown Dayton. And so I spent six years there, like a lot of, you know, learning and a lot of um, growing as a practitioner. And um, at that time, Ohio actually passed a change in our consult agreement language that allowed us to practice a little bit more independently. And so I was able to, not necessarily independently, under collaborative practice, we were able to um, then modify, I mean, essentially prescribe, but we don't call it prescribe in the um, language. It's modify, initiate, titrate, discontinue um, therapy. Um, underneath those consult agreements. And so that was a new opportunity, you know, and I I decided to um, pursue a part-time opportunity and a part-time opportunity to still teach. Um, But this allows me a little bit more time with my two children. So um, since 2016, I've been working at Western Medicine and established clinical services there in a private family medicine office, Um, mostly see patients for diabetes and chronic disease management, a lot of our like initiatives as far as like anyone with A1Cs over nine gets referred done. I've done diabetes shared medical appointments in the past, not only um, at my current site, but also at the FQHC. And then, um, I also have a passion for functional medicine. And so I do do some other disease state management, like COPD and asthma and thyroid and things like that. Um, but diabetes is, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between diabetes and thyroid and IBS and some of my functional medicine interests, but my functional medicine journey started after I had my first child um, and started to have some um, GI issues and abdominal pain that just like the Western medicine system couldn't answer. I went to 
you know, the, through the system to, you know, a regular doctor, um, even like some, you know, OMT at the time, which I'm a huge um, advocate of, which is osteopathic manipulation. Um, actually had some today by one of my colleagues um, to fix my jaw that was out of whack. Um, but I went, you know, through that for my abdominal pain. I went to a semi-functional medicine practitioner would help me a little bit. Um, and then, you know, he referred me to a gastroenterologist who said, nope, you're fine. But I wasn't fine. I had daily abdominal pain and bloating and things like that. And so, um, you know, about a year and a half later, I was finally, you know, to a point where I felt like I was healthy enough to, um, to try to get pregnant with another child. But the, you know, the long story short is that I had, um, SIBO, um, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, which was contributing to a lot of my symptoms and just an imbalanced GI tract and some inflammation. And so, um, hormones being low and things like that. Um, I had to do acupuncture to get those back up to be able to conceive my second child. And so lots of things learned on the journey. And even with my, um, daughter, my first child, I was, um, learned a lot with her because she had some food allergies and, a lot of it, I think, stems back, stems back to my poor gut health um, delivering her um, because that's what she started with um, as far as bacteria. And so we're still working on some GI things with her, but I've learned a lot through the journey, um, was able to like, get rid of her eczema with changes in diet and changes in you know supplementation with probiotics and vitamin D and omegas. And um, so I just really have a passion for sharing that knowledge because I wish I would have been able to read some posts and you know, find this information in a sooner period of time. Um, with my son, I was able to start probiotics like the practically after he came out and um, get his gut a little bit better off. And now my gut was better off during my pregnancy with, with him too as well. So I'm sure that um, played a role as well. So lots of things that I've learned. And so in practice, as far as um, functional medicine goes, I'm working with our nurse practitioner who's going through the Institute of Functional Medicine Um certification program. I've chosen not to do that program at this time. They don't offer pharmacy CE, but there are several pharmacists that have gone through the program. Um, there's also a group of pharmacists, if anyone's interested in learning more about functional medicine, um, so I don't forget, called the Functional Medicine Pharmacist on Facebook. And so um, it's you can also check out fmpha.org, um, which is the website um, for that group. But there's a group of pharmacists online um, dialoguing about this topic. But lots of independent pharmacists are, are getting on board. Um, and then, you know, lots of like people in practice or have been consulting opportunities. And so, so we see patients for IBS and we help them reverse that and not um, have to deal with those symptoms on a daily basis or be on chronic um, medication therapy, um, which is really exciting because I think, you know, from a Western medicine perspective, it's just, you know, I mean, and we're learning a little bit more, I think in our, you know, in the gastroenterology world, we're understanding that dysbiosis plays a role in Zyfaxin's, you know, a treatment for um, IBSD which is, you know, a great option if patients have hydrogen predominant, um, SIBO as well. Um, so there's lots of, you know, cool things where it's overlapping and things are continuing to grow, but for a lot of things, you know, there's still the functional medicine approach is, is different than how, um, and not of it, not necessarily because providers are, um, you know, anti-functional medicine. I think it's just because it's not part of curriculums and they don't, know it unless they've like lived it or, you know, had to discover it, um, via some source or had a mentor that was interested in it. So, um, so it's just a cool, um, teaching opportunity, not only for me to teach, um, patients and potential readers of my blog, but also to teach colleagues and students and other people along the way as well. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a lot to, to dig <laughs> yeah. in on. Um, so let's, 
let's kind of start back uh, to the beginning. So Melody, you've developed not one, but two practice sites. Like how, yes. how would you say that you were successful in, in starting those from scratch? Um, let's see. So finding, I guess, I mean, mentors are important. So people that have done that, um, and been down that road before is often the first place to start. And so, you know, my department chair, when I was, you know, a a full-time employee through Cedarville, um, was huge in helping me, um, to develop that, but also, um, mentors at the hospital that were connected to my clinic as far as, you know, mentoring through some of those, you know, politics type things, you know, at the site, um, that I needed to think about. Um, but also just like relationally, like forming relationships with the physicians and, um, you know, coming alongside them, figuring out what they needed help with. Because honestly, like I went to my first practice site and I said, Oh my goodness, I don't want to be a diabetes specialist anymore. I'm so tired of titrating insulin. Now, granted, this was 2010 after residency when we had like one GLP-1 agonist and no SGLT2 inhibitors. And like, we were just, you know, putting insulin on and increasing insulin and never get anywhere. (laughs) Um, so it wasn't as fun and cool as it is. Uh, some of it is now, but, and the technology obviously has changed for insulin pumps and CGM has like changed my practice completely. But, um, so keeping up with, um, updates and literature is, is really important and guidelines and things like that. But I would say, you know, from the practice standpoint, like just understanding what the practice needed. Cause I went and I, you know, studied to be an asthma educator and I thought, oh, I'm going to see asthma patients. We're in a family medicine clinic. There's children that have asthma that I can impact. Well, there might've been children coming to the clinic, but all of their asthma was treated by the pulmonologist at the hospital in town. So <laughs> at the children's hospital. So that's not what the site needed. Um, the site really needed people, you know, pa- you know, addressing those patients with, you know, A1Cs that are elevated and, um, you know, helping teach the residents how to handle those so that when they're in practice and they don't have a pharmacist, that they can engage patients and, and um, seek behavior change as well. And so, I think, you know, big, so not only having a mentor, you know, finding physician champions, um, but also, you know, figuring out what that, that site needs, um, as you're, you know, you may have like, for example, now I have an interest in functional medicine, but if I had gone to my current provider and said, Hey, I want to have a functional medicine practice at your site, he would have been like, uh, well, how are we going to do that? And that's not really what I need right this second. And probably just passed me up and said, you know, see you later. But because I, you know, went with the mindset of, okay, this is your chronic care initiatives. Here's how we can help with chronic care management and how I can help with, um, your transitional care management. And here's, you know, this opportunity for diabetes, like which of these things do you need help with? And, you know, took it from that angle. I think it was, um, more likely, you know, it's more likely to be successful than just jumping on whatever, um, you know, wave, I guess you're interested in at the time. So, I mean, I think those three things are big. And then, um, I I don't know if there's anything else off the top of my head that, you know, you have to do necessarily, but I think, you know, the main thing is figuring out what the practice needs and, um, you know, working to develop that, but creating a team of people and, and making sure that you're coming alongside. I think a lot of times in pharmacy, we tend to think, oh, we're pharmacists. We can deal with that better than anybody else on the healthcare team. Or I've heard that mentality a lot. And I think I I struggle with that because I see great things being done by my colleagues who are not pharmacists um, in different aspects. And I think everybody brings something to the table. And so figuring out what piece and role the pharmacist can play um, and how, you know, you can teach each other um, is really, you know, 
the way that it's going to work, you know, well. And so the, you know, your team's going to respect you more, um, if you're, you know, helping them along and not, you know, acting like this is like the thing that you do and you do it the best, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So Melody, um, that's helpful because a lot of people, you know, are like, where do I start? And so that gives, gives them some good, good ways to, to get started if they are looking to establish their own practice site. And, uh, you know, you've also got some great experience in speaking. Um, first, uh, from, you know, working with drug companies, but I would assume that would also translate into some of your newer passions in functional medicine. So how did you um, start out or, or get approached to um, be a speaker for some of the pharmaceutical companies? And were there any particular medicines that you shared your expertise on? So I guess that's sort of a long journey and it doesn't start like off the bat, like when you, um, you know, first get a practice site, you're not automatically the expert that they want to stand up in front of, you know, a group of providers or whoever to talk about their, you know, whether it's a device or their, um, drug, but I think, you know, networking is huge no matter what you're doing. And so, um, I think the, the pharmaceutical world understands, or they're starting to understand better, I should say, the value of pharmacists in the healthcare system. Um, I recently spoke to the whole marketing team across Ohio for one of the diabetes um, drug companies and their team for their diabetes arm, and just you know sharing you know what MTM is, how pharmacists are engaging in MTM, what it looks like in a community pharmacy versus a um, you know ambulatory care practice, and so giving them sort of a read into pharmacists so that they can understand how to what pharmacists need as resources. Um, so I think you know developing those kinds of relationships and you know sharing with your representatives what would be beneficial to your patients. I think sometimes pharmacists are too quick to brush off industry, um, and I say this you know even as someone that's very like natural and you know follows you know, limit, I have my drug cabinet looks completely different than it did, you know, when I was in pharmacy school. Um, and so I'm, you know, definitely more hesitant on certain pharmaceutical agents and would certainly rather, you know, especially my diabetes patients, for example, like there's, I speak for pharmaceutical companies with diabetes, but I also treat with, you know, natural products and exercise and nutritional modifications. And so I think, you know, it depends on what the patient wants. If the patient's not going to make any change in their diet and they're not going to exercise at all, then yes, we're probably going to need pharmaceutical medications. Um, but, and we need people that are educated on using them correctly. And so I think that's, you know, where even though I'm holistic, I want to make sure providers are, you know, correctly using agents and, you know, educated on the best approaches and things like that. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, pharma is not always bad. Um, and I think a lot of pharmacists are like, oh, industry. and I don't know if this stems from some of the education that we get in drug information. And as we're like supposed to, you know, evaluate literature studies, it's like as soon as the um, study is, you know, backed by a pharmaceutical company, they're like, oh my goodness, that's a limitation. I'm like, well, you know, I talked to my students about that. I'm like, who's going to study the drug if we don't have a pharmaceutical company <laughs> studying it? Um, and so as far as functional medicine too, we like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, there's only so, this many people in that trial. We can't trust this data, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, 
who's going to pay for the supplement to be studied in that capacity? You know, there's grants sometimes and small pilot things, but it's not, they're not going to have the funding like a drug company has. So the literature is going to look different. And so that's sort of a tangent, but (laughs) I think, you know, in general, as far as the speaking engagements go, really like networking, providing value to, um, the people that you're communicating with. I mean, they're ultimately obviously trying to educate you as a provider on their drug. Um, I found a lot of value in my MSLs, which are many of our colleagues. Um, pharmacists are often in, in medical science liaison roles. Um, my, you know, a couple of the companies that I work closely with here in Ohio are in those roles and they're a wealth of information and helping me keep up to date. You know, they've been, they get to go to ADA. I don't know. I have never made it actually to ADA. Um, but they come home and tell me, you know, the updates and this poster was there and, you know, this cool thing, um, that happened there and all of that stuff. And so if I wasn't engaged and networked with those people, I would have to find all that information on my own. And so you still have to take it with, you know, that it's from someone that works for the company and all that kind of stuff. And you have to do your own, you know, research on the side, you know, on the side and how you implement that in practice. But, um, you know, I've found MSLs are very, they're not the ones selling the drug. They're supposed to give you the data and they have to, it's their job. And so they're really helpful, um, in that aspect. So even just networking with your MSLs, um, in your area and reaching out to them, if there's drugs that you have interest in, um, you know, it can be helpful a way to, you know, get started. Cause they'll come and meet with you. Even if you're a community pharmacist, I can't imagine that you call up an MSL, um, in your area and tell them you want to learn about their drug and the data behind their drug that they're going to say no. So they know that pharmacists have influential and they're, they, that's part of their job is to reach out to, um, you know, their constituents and their districts and things like that. So that sounded really like political. That's probably not how they refer to it as constituents, but whatever the term is. (laughs) Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Um, yeah. So yeah, you laid out a couple of different things, uh, from, from that, uh, industry perspective. So, uh, now you've, you've kind of pivoted just from some personal experiences into looking more at, um, functional medicine. So just for our listeners, what is functional medicine? Like break it down a little to simplify that for everyone. Sure, sure. Well, it's definitely so, um, you know, one of the first, I guess, examples that I give, I mean, it's essentially the treatment of a disease from its underlying cause. And sometimes we do that really well in Western medicine. So for example, if we have an infection, we treat it with an antibiotic, the infection goes away. Um, But for other disease states, we don't always address the underlying cause. So the underlying cause of diabetes is not the lack of metformin, right? <laughs> or the lack of, you know, uh, you know, another different drug class. And for type two, it's certainly not the lack of insulin. Um, but that's often what we're using to treat and and help with the symptoms. And so one of the best examples 
and it's a, you know, it's a systems-based approach. It's a science and the, the IFM, um, has a great intro document on this, which I'm not sure. Do you have show notes? I can share that with you. Sure, yeah. Um, sure. we can link that, but you know, it's a systems-based approach. It's science using, I mean, it's not, we're not looking to recreate the wheel, but it's just a way they also use a timeline, um, of the patient's life. And you'll, and there's a couple companies that actually have, um, like a, a patient would take it. We have an intake form that we use called the living matrix. And so then they take the patient's timeline of their life. And when the symptoms start occurring and sort of put it out, you know, on this like grid and this timeline, and you'll find that a lot of the patient's symptoms stemmed from psychosocial issues. And so, you know, parent was divorced at age eight, they started getting abdominal pain at age nine, or they had a surgery and lots of antibiotics and as a young child and allergies started shortly, shortly after that. And so there's a lot of things that you can learn from looking at the timeline of a person's life that we often don't get, um, into the nitty gritty detail of that. But essentially, you know, if we are addressing the underlying cause of something like allergies or, um, you know, IBS, it stems from the gut. And so I would say not every, every disease day, you know, everything starts in the gut, but there's a lot of stuff that starts in the gut. And so a lot of our um, autoimmune things, our allergy things, they start with infections in the gut or infections elsewhere. Like, you know, EVV is a great example. There's lots of links to, from mono to, um, even lymphomas and different things like that. Um, which was related to immune regulation, but, you know, from a gut standpoint and the IBS, you know, we're seeing patients that have, you know, dysbiosis. So they have an imbalance in good and bad bacteria. So instead of giving them, you know, a drug to just, you know, suppress their diarrhea, we're going to give them some nutrients to maybe some herbal supplements or maybe Zyfaxin, depending on what kind of dysbiosis it is to help correct that. Then we're going to start feeding their gut with good nutrients like probiotics, prebiotics. We're going to give them some, if they have inflammation and some impaired gut lining. So we talk a lot about intestinal permeability. So in the layman's terms and blog post, you might read about leaky gut. Um, I think I even have, we can link a post on my site, that's an intro to linky gut that another pharmacist, um, had guest posted on there, but essentially that permeability, you know, then allows the immune system to be triggered, um, more quickly. And we get, you know, this inflammation process and this inflammation cascade. And so, you know, 70% of our immune system actually lies in our, in our gut, gut associated lymphoid tissue. And so when the gut is impacted, it impacts our immune system. So that's where, you know, Allergic rhinitis is essentially one of the first autoimmune type reactions. Um, and so you start to react to all those different antigens. I mean, people start, if they have intestinal permeability, they'll start to react to, you know, foods that they're eating. They'll start, um, you know, immune system might be suppressed depending on how severe it is. And so if we do, you know, give them nutrients that are evidence-based, like you know, L-glutamine, um, there's zinc carnosine is great for gut lining integrity. Um, there's lots of data behind a functional food, um, that's bovine, um, serum bovine, um, like a, I think it's all SBI serum bovine drives. Um, it's essentially derived from colostrum. And so the, the colostrum and those active Ig, um, G, you know, antibodies that are, you know, given to a patient to help sort of suppress, help the immune system, um, to heal, you know, heal the gut lining, calm down the inflammation. So that's used, um, commercially, you know, in patients with, um, IBD a lot as a functional food. And so that's where, um, you know, some of the things start. So I think, 
you know, when we talk about fibromyalgia and some of these, you know, chronic pain disorders, chronic fatigue syndrome, a lot of it stems from, you know, infections, whether that be gut infections or viral infections, and sometimes, you know, parasites or things like that, that sometimes, you know, can be corrected. I can't say I can, we can cure everything with functional medicine, but, um, a lot of, you know, most people are feeling like largely better when they're done with treatment. Um, thyroid wise, if people are interested in thyroid disease, um, Isabella Wentz is a PharmD that has written about functional medicine approach to Hashimoto's, which is the most common cause of autoimmune thyroid. And her books definitely talk in her blog posts and things like that definitely talk a lot about, you know, leaky gut or intestinal hyperpermeability, um, and its association with autoimmune, um, and how, you know, certain foods are going to be more nourishing and than others. And so treating it a lot, I think her newest book, Food Pharmacology, um, talks about a lot of it from a dietary perspective. Um, we know clinically and, you know, based on research that certain nutrients like black cumin seed oil, um, selenium can help drastically reduce antibodies in Hashimoto's. And so they're food-based, um, you know, nutrient-based um, solutions versus and the challenge with, you know, a lot of patients with Hashimoto, sometimes their TSH isn't even impacted. They just have these high antibody levels and they feel terrible and fatigued. And so um, a lot of providers aren't even looking at antibodies. Uh, I have, you know, some friends I have, you know, there was a patient that I knew about that had, you know, a IBD disorder. And then she also, you know, has this TSH that's elevated. And I heard, I was listening to Isabella talk to Chris Kresser recently on his podcast, which is, um, let me see, Revolution Health Radio, I think she was on there. Um, and so she, you know, and he were going back and forth about Hashimoto's and functional medicine treatment for Hashimoto's and just talking about the labs, as far as the standard of care for labs, like people that actually had thyroid disease were in the, um, you know, NTANES data and the data that was like getting the labs, um, you know, determined to be what was standard. And so this TSH of four that people are seeing on their lab work as normal is really not optimal. It might be, you know, normal if we're looking at across the population of people that may or may not have thyroid disease. Um, but when we want people to feel well, their TSH really needs to be under two. And we need to be looking at, T4, T3 antibodies, um, free T4, free T3 to see if they're actually converting to the active um, hormones. And so there's a lot of nutrient depletions, you know, um, things that can be, you know, playing a role um, and help patients. And so we do some micronutrient deficiency testing and seeing if, you know, patients are actually lacking in certain nutrients and um, make sure that they have the nutrients that they need to have proper thyroid function. Certainly insulin resistance plays a role in hypothyroidism as well. Um, not necessarily the autoimmune kind, but, you know, addressing that, um, as well. So I, I don't know, it's hard to explain functional medicine and, and just that, but I can definitely share that document, but it's certainly looking at things from, you know, a, a bigger lens, like all the things that are impacting the patient from a psychosocial standpoint. I mean, stress is a huge thing. I mean, the challenge is our healthcare system is not set up to be, um, to look at things like this because we have 15 minutes with most primary care doctors. And so that's one of the advantages of having a pharmacist in, um, you know, the office for my practitioners is they can actually, you know, get to other things. They can say, Oh, Dr. Hertzler is managing your diabetes. Uh, looks like you're doing well with that. Let's move on to the next, you know, condition, but otherwise diabetes is going to take 15 minutes or more of their time. Um, so they're definitely not going to be able to get into, um, 
you know, were you breastfed as a baby? Did you have active infections? You know, when did your allergies start and how's your diet look? And all of those things that, you know, we really need to be addressing in the patient's life or their stressors. You know, so I've got patients that, you know, marital issues are causing stressors in their lives or children that are, you know, involved in drugs or something, you know, of that nature, just not taking care of themselves. Or now they have their children's children in their home. And even though they're, you know, supposed to be retiring. And so just looking at that whole thing, um, you know, we know sleep apnea plays a role in blood sugars. We know stress plays a role. And so looking at the whole picture instead of just the, the glucose numbers, a lot of times when I see elevated morning fastings, um, obviously, we're screening for hypercortisolism sometimes um, in patients if they fit that hypercortisol picture. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of times, the high cortisol um, or high cortisol levels in the morning is just related to patient stress and poor sleep, um, which impacts their blood sugars in the morning. So addressing that from you know what's causing the stress, not just let me lower your blood sugars in the morning, because not only is that cortisol poorly impacting their blood sugars, but it's doing other things in their body as well. And so... Um, Hopefully that gives you an idea of some of the things we're doing. Yeah. And so when would when should people start to look for a functional medicine doctor? Like what are some of the I mean, you talk through a couple of of main issues like leaky gut, um, thyroid issues. Um, is there any like kind of specific triggers that um maybe patients uh, should be referred to one. And then maybe we could talk a little bit more about how pharmacists could get uh, in, into yeah. that. Yeah. So, um, and the practitioner, you know, referred to a functional medicine provider doesn't really have to be a physician. It could be, especially if they're already working like with a physician to rule out any, you know, obviously with GI stuff, we want to rule out any terrible things like, you know, severe inflammation or, you know, tumors and polyps and all of that kind of thing. So they still need to be doing the conventional um, approach as well. But I would say anybody with, you know, gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea that is unresolved and they're, even if they're on chronic medication and they, you know, see that it's working, there's something else that's, you know, triggering that. And so those kinds of things, thyroid, um, like I said, autoimmune things, um, people that are going through chemo, there's a lot of, um, things that they can do like to support their gut and things like that during that time. So um, not saying that you wouldn't need to go through chemo with functional medicine at all. I'm just saying that there's might be things to just support a person um, that's going through that. There's some data for, you know, curcumin and radiation therapy to help with fatigue and things like, you know, so there's, um, so there's ways people can come along. Functional medicine can come alongside Western medicine um, to help people through some of those things a little bit easier but as far as, I mean, obviously you may, you may not need a functional medicine provider if you're perfectly healthy and not having any issues, but anytime there's some kind of chronic, um, condition, I think functional medicine can do a great job at, at looking at that. So even blood pressure and, in, in, you know, cholesterol, there's ways to look at things from a little bit more holistic standpoint. We know there's a lot of challenges with statins, um, therapy and, um, increasing blood sugar is one of them. Um, but, you know, there's also, you know, other issues and other questions we have about them. And and we know for, you know, secondary prevention, they're not the most um, robust agents. And so um, certainly for primary prevention, we may have a little bit different opinion. But so I think even for those patients with, you know, hypercholesterolemia and, you know, wanting to figure out, you know, obviously genetics might play a role in some of those cases, but looking a little bit deeper into lipids, most of our providers at our office, functional medicine or not, are, um, you know, looking at, 
the nanoparticles for cholesterol and looking at their pattern size and looking at actually is, you know, this person more prone to inflammation um, and heart disease or not. And so I think um, coronary calcium scores, you know, some standard providers are looking at those things. So you may not need necessarily a functional medicine provider in that case, but someone that's willing to look beyond um, maybe what's right in front of them and like explore other options with you um, to help you be your best instead of, you know, you, I mean, the goal isn't to, um, necessarily never be on prescription drugs. I'm not saying that. Like I said, I, I support um, prescription drugs and there are certain times when they're needed. Of course, um, we're all pharmacists and we want there still to be prescription drugs. Um, but I think, you know, there's times where we can probably support our bodies to do our, you know, to work physiologically, how our bodies are supposed to work with nutrients and food and, and exercise and stress relief, like yoga and all of those kinds of things. So, um, so I think, you know, if you get to a point where you're dealing with a chronic condition and the Western medicine the answer is maybe not optimal for you or not um, something that you want to consider, then that might be a good trigger to um, searching for someone. I mean, functional, integrative, sometimes they're similar. Sometimes integrative might include other things. And so word of mouth is sometimes the best way to learn about what a practitioner does. Um, it's hard to find good reviews of practitioners online. If you've ever looked at a doctor's office reviews on Yelp or something, they're normally all the terrible ones <laughs> in my experience. But Okay. And then Melody, what are some ways that pharmacists could learn more about functional medicine? So, um, that group I mentioned is a great way. Um, Podcasts are a great way. So there are tons of functional medicine podcasts, and I can also link some of them for you for the show notes as well. Um, like I mentioned, Revolution Health Radio is Chris Cresser. His background is actually, um, I believe, acupuncture um, or something like that. Um, but he studies the data like none other, and um, has been involved in the functional medicine community since its you know startup essentially. And, um, has some really cool things going on at the, I think it's the California Institute of Functional Medicine, but that may be the wrong name of it. But anyway, so his podcast is great. There's also a podcast by Kara Fitzgerald, who's a naturopathic physician, um, that digs into data, talks to a lot of the leading researchers in the area, um, that I really enjoy. Like there was like a two hour podcast one time on mast cell disorder. And I seriously, I was so tired driving home from Toledo one night that I was like listening to that because I had to listen so hard because the guy's accent was so, so, um, heavy, but it was, um, keeping me awake and it was really intriguing. Um, so those kinds of things are helpful. I'll have to think of, I think I have a list actually that I share with my residents, um, that I can share with you as far as, um, linking some podcasts, but being active on the Facebook group, if you're interested, the functional medicine pharmacist, um, and then, you know, maybe finding a mentor, whether it's within that group or other places, Institute of Functional Medicine has like an initial conference that a lot of people like to go to. And then, um, but they, like I said, they don't provide pharmacy CE at this time, but a lot of pharmacists have still found that valuable and you can still go through their certification program. Functional Medicine University is another program that's a little bit more reasonable cost-wise um, and has some still great um, practitioners um, teaching and researchers and things like that. I found value in some of the supplement companies sponsored education. And so Orthomolecular, one of the companies I like to use for supplements and Metagenics both have had. Metagenics has a great blog with a lot of research um, on it. Um, 
I designs for health has a podcast um, where they interview some of the researchers behind like different products. So, I mean, all of those ways, if you have time in the car, podcasts are a great way to learn about these things as obviously if they're listening to this podcast, they probably um, have an interest in podcast. And then I actually, one of my other initiatives this year is I'm actually going to be launching a functional medicine virtual conference for pharmacists um, that will provide pharmacists CE. So that's going to be in November, I believe, and so more details to come. Um, but if you have an interest, please definitely follow me at farm to table, um, dot life on Instagram and Facebook, and you'll definitely see the um, information about that one. There's an upcoming one sponsored by Orthomolecular in Indianapolis um, that we can link in the show notes um, that has some great speakers that are pharmacists already engaged in functional medicine practices. Um, so we're going to be doing a functional medicine forum with pharmacists on Friday night before that just to gather um, you know, several practitioners that have started functional medicine services in their pharmacies or offices or wherever they're working. Um, and sort of just there's a, something called the Functional Medicine Forum that um, goes around to different cities and talks about functional medicine. Um, and unfortunately we couldn't get the, um, guy that leads those conversations, James Maskell, um, for that date, but hopefully, um, we'll still have a good conversation, um, with our own Lauren Castle and seeing, um, that and just, you know, hear people's thoughts and what they're doing in that space and learn from each other. And, you know, obviously networking I've mentioned in several things has been really important in my career. So, um, networking in this space is really important too, to learn. You know, there's a lot of uh, different things that people are doing. I mean, there's different segments of functional medicine, like hormone and, um, bioidentical hormone replacement and, you know, the Dutch test and adrenals and looking at all the different hormones and doing compounding pharmacies have, um, taken off with those type of practices. Um, so anyways, but that's that, um, opportunity, I believe the September, it's the first weekend in September. Let me look at my calendar here. It is, um, September 7th in Indianapolis is the conference. And like I said, I'll share that information with you, um, so that you can post that. So I think, you know, a lot of those opportunities will sort of lead you down more, you know, I guess rabbit trails are different places that you can learn from. Um, but that would be a really good start. And so Melody, um, we'll definitely link all of the show notes information that you've got. And, uh, thanks for sharing about ways to find and follow you. And as our final question, could you share with our listeners, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists who are just getting started in their career? Hmm. I guess, you know, humility is a huge thing that I had to learn <laughs> in my early career and uh, how to practice that in, you know, but also have confidence, um, you know, that you know what you're doing and that you, you know, are a valuable member of the team and balancing that. Um, but I remember one time specifically, I, I can see myself in the room where, you know, somebody asked about, homeopathy and one of the attendings was like, you know, sitting there and I said, Oh, that's bogus. It's, you know, like, and this is what I was taught in pharmacy school is that's like treats like, and you know, that's not scientifically valid and blah, 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 blah. And the, um, attending actually like called me out on it and said, no, there's data, you know, this can be an op option. And so, you know, it was sort of put me in my place and interesting enough, like I use homeopathy on myself and my kids and several things now. And so I think, you know, 
there's different points in my life where God sort of put people there to say like, Hey, like, no, you need to consider this. And so I guess with that, you know, not only being humble and, and trying to display that is also like having an open mind to other things. Um, I think one of you know the most challenging things that I deal with, with some practitioners is just not being open to looking at new data or looking at data a different way. Um, and just being sort of stuck in the box that we were taught in, because honestly, we are, we're taught, you know, nothing against the pharmacy school curriculums. Like I teach in a pharmacy school curriculum, but we have specific things that we have to cover and we can't extend outside of those things into innovative, new up and coming. Like I have little room to talk about a lot of this functional medicine, unless it was like in an elective or something like that. And so we all do start, we have to start with this foundational box that makes us a, um, you know, a, competent pharmacist that can do the job of a pharmacist, but there's so many patients out there and I have to figure out how to way to communicate this to my students better next year, um, in my intercom module, but there's so many patients out there that are looking for answers that aren't necessarily the drugs that you're dispensing. Um, but if you go up, you know, if the patient comes up to the counter and is asking you questions about, you know, some herbal supplement, like don't just disown them or, you know, give them, none of your time or, you know, I had my husband one time went up to a pharmacy and was asking, you know, what they had in stock for like homeopathic treatments for headaches. And the pharmacist was like, Oh, we have Tylenol. We recommend Tylenol. Like that's like not the response that we want, um, you know, to have to the patient. We want to understand where the patient's coming from. We want to, you know, and I understand not every pharmacist has the same background in, you know, herbal supplements, but knowing your resources on those questions, especially if you're getting a lot of those questions, like digging into some of those common questions that you're getting about, um, you know, natural products and knowing what's on your shelf and knowing what is on your shelf that actually has data that you should recommend. Um, and being familiar with those things is good. I mean, obviously if you're an independent, you might have more influence over what's going on your shelf. Um, and maybe even in some of the retail stores, you might have an option to suggest products that they carry if there's something that you feel um, has, you know, good data for something. But I think, you know, just understanding where the person's coming from, like valuing their opinion. Like a lot of, I see there's some groups online where pharmacists are just very derogatory towards um, patients and patients thinking they know everything because they read it online and, you know, all of this stuff. And we are, you know, we are challenged that a lot of our patients are very well educated. Like I learn a lot from some of my patients, our nurse practitioner that sees some of these functional medicine patients. She learns a lot because these patients have gained a lot of knowledge on their journey from other providers in different places. And so I guess don't discredit the patient and the patient's story. And and if they're really, you know, feeling like something's wrong or something isn't working about something, you know, if they're feeling like they have a side effect from a medication, like don't discredit that that can't be the case because that's not like, you know, in the package insert. Like, so I think patients, patients want to feel valued and they want to feel, um, you know, that they're, you are, you know, in it for them and that you're not just in it to make money off their visit or money off their, you know, cause if we brush them off, I mean, that's what they feel like. And so I think a lot of times what I hear is, wow, this is the first person that's ever listened to me or ever, you know, actually thought that I should stop my metformin because I'm having diarrhea six times a day, you know? So I don't know. And I don't know if that was a long, long long-winded answer. Sorry (laughs) to the listeners if this is normally a shorter podcast, but I just think, you know, valuing people and being kind to people can go a long way, no matter whether it's your colleagues or your, um, you know, patients. Absolutely. I love that. 
Um, such great information, Melody, and I uh, will be sure to, to share all of the all of the links and everything. And it was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you, and hope you all um, you know got something out of this. And if I can be of any help to anyone along their journey, feel free to reach out. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.